0: Hey everybody, this is the Never Heard of It Podcast. This is Sean Harwell. You're listening to the podcast where we talk all about the movies that fell through our cracks and yours. I'm joined today, as always, thankfully, all the way from Japan, say uh, konnichiwa Craig Moorhead. Konnichiwa Craig Moorhead. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Craig, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Sean. I'm going to tell you again, yet again, <laughs> yet again, maybe the fifth episode in a row, while you're introducing me and about to ask me to say hello, a yawn comes over me.
0: That's why I try to rush through that as quickly as possible, because I know yeah. this is Craig Moorhead's prime yawning moment.
1: Someday you'll, 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 you'll catch me <laughs> again.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. But I am doing great, Sean. How are you doing? I feel like I'm internally yawning. It hasn't come out of my mouth yet. But I'm a little I'm a little sleepy all of a sudden. Yeah. Other than that, quite well, quite excited to talk about our movie today. Yeah. And get all the way into I'm trying to make Costober a thing, Craig.
1: I like that, Sean. That's a good idea.
0: Costober? Yeah, we're talking about costumes. Costumes. Why we picked this movie. Absolutely. Costober.
1: Costober. (laughs) I think it's gonna work.
0: I I don't, actually. Uh, maybe at Costco, they've already tried this. I don't know, but it mm, yeah. feels like the last refuge of the October puns out there. Maybe. And uh, we're going to squeeze what we can out of it and then put it to bed. Hmm. But before that, Craig, why don't you tell the people where they can find us online?
1: I will. The places you can find us are traditionally our website, neverheardpodcast.com. And you can find all the episodes there. You can read about the longer uh, uh, episodes where we really dive into a particular movie you can also find us on twitter on instagram you can find us on facebook you just gotta search until you find us again there is sort of a doppelganger podcast out there don't be fooled this is us and that one is done by two other people
0: yeah clearly very distinctive i know i feel like they should be incorporated or you know it's like there's all those like hair metal bands that so they split into factions and there's like oh yeah six, six different versions of great white touring and one of them's great white incorporated or something like that
1: yeah yeah so hard to keep straight
0: if anybody's a lawyer out there i mean obviously we've mentioned before we do offer legal advice but we are not lawyers no so uh yeah give us a call
1: i think it is though if you give enough legal advice don't you eventually sort of become a lawyer
0: (laughs) it's like the grandfather clause for like
1: yeah for like 15 years of legal (laughs) advice you're a lawyer i think so
0: (laughs) I don't, but thank you for the information you did give, which, mm. legal or not, is, is accurate. We would love for you to come listen to all our episodes, check out the website, and make some suggestions. We are plowing ahead here. We're going to rock into November, and then hopefully do something a little special for October. What month comes after November? Uh, September? For December. We're going to try to do something a little, ah, that's, a little yes, special that's here. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Craig? Mm. We're going to Japan today. We're going to talk about a movie called Gate of Hell from 1953. Hopefully people listened to the tee-up. Seems like a lot of you did. Thank you. Uh, Before we do that, I have to ask you, what I always ask you around this time in these episodes, and that is, what else have you watched? Sean,
1: I'm going to tell you. Since the last time we talked about this, I feel like I've seen a lot of movies.
0: Oh, good, because I haven't, so this will balance us out.
1: But I also have forgotten what I've told you in the last episode. (laughs) I did, too. Yeah, so if I start talking about a movie we've already heard about, uh, don't tell me. Just let me go, and our listeners can have a chuckle at my feeble-mindedness. I'll start off saying that I watched L.A. Confidential. Did we talk about
0: that? Man, I don't remember us talking about that. Okay.
1: It's very (laughs) possible that I didn't. It's very, very possible I didn't. Because I think I talked about Annihilation instead of LA Confidential. I
0: think so, yes. And I'd
1: forgotten about it, so I watched LA Confidential. This is this is like 2017 we're talking about, and that was a movie I really liked back when it came out. I was like, oh man, this is this is my kind of movie, man. It's got a lot of good stuff in it, but for some reason, this time watching it, it felt so like such a small movie to me. Whereas in my mind, really? it was this
0: big epic
1: with all these this huge cast and like all this stuff. And
0: yeah, it's pretty dense.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it was. Like I I kind of got into it and then I was like, oh, that's that's all that it was. You know, it was over and I'm like, all right. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not that it's it's any of it's bad. It's just like it almost felt like there was like half an hour missing from it, I guess
0: interesting yeah it's it's been a couple of years since i've seen that one and yeah. i used to watch that all the time yeah the kim bassinger stuff has always been a little thin
1: yeah well that's one of them that felt like like the relationship between the two and yeah i, and, I just
0: feel like that's not going to hold up that well over time maybe i'm wrong. right
1: i mean luckily it's yeah they're both really good in the roles oh man yeah but yeah their whole the whole like i'm so in love and kind of like eh, i don't know Still a, a pretty fun movie to watch. Even with Kevin yeah. Spacey in there, it's kind of a... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Kind of twist yeah. the knife a little bit <laughs> because he has one of the better scenes, like one of the really crux of the plot scenes in there. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I wish he wasn't terrible. But then, yeah. you know, like on the next episode, you talked about watching Wonder Boys. And I was like, oh, I want to... That's what I was going to follow up LA Confidential with.
0: Yeah. A little Curtis Hansen double feature.
1: Exactly. And I realized that, like, I've really never seen Wonder Boys, so... Uh, watch Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys is very fun. I liked that a lot.
0: Good. Oh, and then we watched. We just watched Solo. Still haven't got around to that one myself.
1: Yeah, it's, it's no surprise to anyone. <laughs> I feel like I I feel like it was perfectly dehyped. Last Jedi came out, and every everyone in the world said it was the most worthless piece of crap ever, which I liked. And then right. And then so Solo came out, and I was like, not as excited about Solo. And so it was perfect. It was perfect. Watch it at the perfect time. Just had fun with it. It was fun.
0: I don't know. I definitely feel like they had uh, a lot going against them, even from the start and then changing directors and everything. So, yeah, I'm curious to see to see how it pulled it off.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like it is essentially a fan service movie. For sure. Like it's it's only there just, you know, in case you're like, oh, I'd like to see what it was like, like like the stuff they mentioned in those other movies. I want to see it happen. And yeah, and like they have—they have a very likable cast. It's the most lightweight Star Wars movie. Okay. It's kind of what I thought Rogue One was going to be, where it was going to be like a heist type. Yeah, yeah. Movie. No, so, that was yeah. not. Yeah. I, th- I think the kid they got to do Han Solo was really good. I like personally. that guy. Yeah. And yeah, good cast all around. Like it's—it's it's good fun. Cool.
0: Okay, I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. Eventually.
1: Tomorrow. But Sean, what about you, man? What did you watch?
0: I watched season two of American Vandal. Uh Have you seen any of this on Netflix? You know about this show?
1: You know what? I didn't get to the end of the first season of American Vandal, and it's not because I didn't like it. I just, it's one of those things that I, yeah, left my radar, but.
0: Well, you you should finish it just to figure out the mystery. I think they do a pretty good job of keeping the twist coming. Second season, very much enjoyed it. There's definitely a little bit of repetition from the first season. Just, you know, I I don't know how you get around some of that just because Mm -hmm. of the nature of doing a mockumentary in this style. But. I got to say, the last episode, they managed to add some poignancy to the entire millennial generation and their use of social media, which I did not expect that show to do. Yeah, and I think they pulled it off in a really interesting way, and I was kind of very impressed by it. Aside from that, there's a lot of fun to be had with pooping, so I, oh. it covers all the bases, right?
1: <laughs> Always fun to be had from pooping.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go Google it and watch the trailers on Netflix. You'll very quickly figure out whether this is for you or not. I think. Yeah, and then I rewatched Moonlight. That's it all this week. Oh, Craig, have you have you made it around to watching that yet?
1: I have not watched Moonlight. Can you believe okay. that?
0: Oh, yeah. I was I was wondering if you had, and I want to just put this out here now. I think we should make a list, and we, it can only be like maybe two movies, right? Mm-hmm. That I need to watch because you say I need to watch, and mm. that you need to watch because I, and Moonlight is on my list for you. Okay. Because, uh, d- damn it, that movie is, I mean, it is incredibly well made. I was just, again, kind of floored by that movie.
1: I don't doubt it, yeah. I mean, um, I'm dying to see it, and I just, yeah. Not gotten into it.
0: I want to tell you though I'm going to spoil just a little something that's not huge story wise mm-hmm. but I just want to say Mahershala Ali is in that movie for yeah. a very small portion oh, and really? it felt small the first time I saw it and then after he wins the Academy Award it felt really small watching it again he's incredible mm-hmm. but I do think if you know that going in you won't just spend like when the hell is he co- is, where's is Mahershala <laughs> well, Ali When's that's he all coming I'm back? thinking about the whole yes. time yes so i'm just i'm doing that as a service
1: okay thank you i'll throw this one back at you okay and i'm it's i'm kind of this has kind of hit me just off the top of my head and i don't think you saw this but correct me if i'm wrong if you didn't watch the florida project yet did you see the florida project i did
0: see the florida project yes you did i think i saw it before we were talking what we've watched i think yeah fair enough well you liked uh, it quite a bit
1: your homework is done
0: yeah yeah Dafoe was amazing. Uh, that girl was amazing. I still haven't seen Tangerine, the movie that guy made, Sean Baker made before. I need to do that. Yeah, I need, yeah, to, I need to check that out. On the subject of Moonlight and Barry Jenkins, who we, we have talked about previously this season. Yeah. Cannot wait to see his new one. I think he's, from the looks of the trailer, going to be right there in the discussion for Oscars once again.
1: Well, speaking of Oscars, Sean. Yeah. You know, the, the movie we're talking about today is an Oscar winner.
0: It's a double Oscar winner, correct? That's right. Yeah, we're talking once again... Gate of hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like, you know, it needs like a, yeah. like a good death metal growl to the title. Even though, it's not a, I don't know, it is a menacing movie in some ways. We'll get to that. In some ways, it's not. Once again, Japanese, 1953, won Best Foreign Language Oscar that year. Won Best Costume Design for, uh, oh man, Mr. Wada was his last name. We talked mm-hmm. about only has three credits to his name, amazingly. Was directed by Tanosuki Kinugasa. Kinagasa. Mm-hmm. 129 minutes. It's on filmstruck.com. It is available on Blu ray via the Criterion Collection. And you can also rent it from Amazon and others. Stars Machiko Kyo, mm. Kazuo Hasegawa, mm-hmm. and Aseo Yamagata are the three main players in what is ostensibly a love triangle. But here is the IAMDB synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. A Samurai Pursues a Married Lady in Waiting. Oh, man. Should I do that again?
1: Yeah, I missed part of it.
0: Yeah, it was short, so I figured I should just read it quickly. No, it's A Samurai Pursues a Married Lady in Waiting, which I did not read that prior to watching this, and I'm glad I didn't. But for those of you listening to this, I think the, the phrase is tough titty. Mm-hmm. There's your synopsis. And yeah, that is kind of kind of what it's about. And uh, it goes much further than that in into the realm of obsessive, I would say. Sure. Uh, but also obsessive is my co-host, Craig Moorhead, true. and his love for movies. You had not seen this. I don't no. believe you were familiar with it at all. No. Now you've watched it. Yeah. What do you think?
1: I mean, it's true to its title. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've actually been thinking of trying to like bring that, uh, that title more into the movie. I mean, clearly, yeah, they talk you about the that. gate of hell. I don't know. The, the connection there for me was not entirely strong. But regardless of that, I mean, it's a, it's a very serious movie. It deals very. with very serious themes. Everyone in it, generally very serious. I'm having trouble thinking of any places that might have been considered funny on purpose. I remember but, the uh, monk
0: laughing once.
1: That's true. He found a lot of things rather funny. But yeah, I mean, that being said, um, none of those are are, are complaints. It certainly held my interest the entire time. I think the casting was really interesting. Yeah. You know, I don't know much about where the Japanese film industry was in 1953. But um, yeah, in general, uh, I thought it was a very well made piece of uh, movies. What did you think?
0: It was indeed very serious, but I do think the fact that it's only an hour and a half long, I had I had very little trouble just locking in with this and going along yeah. for the ride, even though it really shifts gears quite a bit after the sort of opening prologue. Mm-hmm. But... It's a gorgeous movie. I mean, holy yeah. guacamole here. This thing, you understand why it won costume design within about, like, five minutes, I think. Sure. Uh, I mean, even the horses are wearing costumes, mm-hmm. and they're gorgeous. They're just, the colors pop on this thing, man, uh, especially, I, I gorgeous think.
1: Gorgeous horses. Yeah,
0: the, that's a good title or a band mm-hmm. name, by the way. Uh if you can see that Criterion version, which I think it said it had been restored in 2011, it's crazy. I mean, it just looks so good, and it reminded me of... You remember that Todd Haynes movie, uh, Far From Heaven, with Julian Moore? Yeah. That was very much done as an homage to a movie from the 50s and a guy that made these melodramas that were very bright and colorful, even though the, the subject matter was sad, which I'm blanking on, of course, now, because there's a microphone in front of my face and we're recording, mm-hmm. but... It made me think of like that and then if you know, if you've seen the Powell Pressburger movies, which I think were from earlier, but like the Red Shoes or Tales of Hoffman. Right. Um, some of those movies and just the use of color, which yeah. I don't have a good reason for it, but I feel like we've kinda gotten away from. And you know, maybe that's not fair of me to say because I haven't seen, you know, I could name one movie I've seen from 1953 because it's the one we're talking about. But right. I don't know, there's, I'm sure there's a million movies from this year that did not do anything remotely with color that was, you know, at all as interesting as this, right? And obviously, sure. as we were talking about, they were still making a shit ton of black and white movies at the time. Yeah. But it does just feel otherworldly in a way because of that use of color. And it, it's just mm-hmm. it's a sight to behold. I really enjoyed just simply watching this movie and then on the content side, yeah, it's it's interesting because I don't know, I, I you know, I just keep thinking about here we are picking these movies, and there's always something that I'm like, this is, kind of, you know, <laughs> that's like keeps creeping up. It's like this is, you know, socially speaking, this is a little problematic here. Obviously, this movie is, yeah. a, is a period movie, so we're talking about it at a time where the power structure was much more ingrained and far, far from anything approaching equality, right? Mm -hmm. But it does kind of get into the issue of, uh, like, domestic violence and obsession. Toxic masculinity. Absolutely. There's borderline stalking going on. Well, not even borderline, I guess. Uh, Yeah, no. Yeah, but it's a different version of it. You know, it's not done via somebody creeping your Facebook page. Um, It's literally creeping outside your house. And I don't know, all that stuff is kind of fascinating to watch it play out when guys are samurais and there's swords involved and uh, there's honor involved and all that stuff. At the end of the day, you got a female character who has very little say in her own life, yeah. And it's kind of compelling because of that. And unfortunately, she doesn't get away out of that. <laughs> that no. has a happy ending, which we'll get to. But yeah, just it was it was interesting to watch it with like thinking of it along those lines, and I did wonder it was like, man, I wonder how many movies from this area and early earlier really dealt with that subject matter and, and this sort of like a very abusive male lover, it's yeah, not even a it's, lover really, yeah,
1: no, not at all. And and it, it is interesting how this you know ideologically does seem to hold up in terms of like you know progressive ideas right now, right, you know, even if it's if not something that necessarily shows you know like a a woman finding her strength and coming out but but more like no this is kind of how it goes (laughs) yeah like this is i mean yeah there's not like a, a big twist ending here it's just uh yeah the further down the road you go you you know what is going to happen
0: yeah i do suspect it would have been a twist ending to audiences at the time i mean i would have to imagine probably but that said it it felt so inevitable to me in a lot of ways Yeah, we'll get into that, but let's back way up and start Mm -hmm. at the beginning here. This is dealing with a period of Japanese history (laughs) that I know absolutely nothing about. Mm -hmm. It feels very tribal. Mm -hmm. There is a a regime called the uh Heidi regime, I believe Mm -hmm. that may be autocorrect (laughs) doing (laughs) us in again, but you do get a little bit of a prologue via I thought was a very interesting technique of moving, literally moving a very long lateral painting across the frame like in front of the camera right Mm -hmm. did it go right to left it did didn't it
1: i believe so it was moving it was moving left across the frame
0: yeah you know you're basically just sort of setting up that there's lots of wars have been happening Oh yeah, (laughs) and there's one happening right now but it was it was cool it looked cool and again like it was unexpected and it gave it sort of uh I don't know, fables the right word or just a significance to it that also sort of put it at a slight distance for me as far as like, oh, this is they're not just trying to do realism here necessarily. Right. um, Even though the movie is very grounded. But after that, you're just kind of thrown right into the middle of this scramble. And there's people coming at every direction, running away from this attacking force. Right. Again, they're doing so in just these wild bursts of color, and you've got people in the background in color, and you've got you know, samurais or these warriors who are wearing these intricate uniforms, basically, and those are different colors. And then there's the horses going up a hill in the background, and they, they're they draped in red or purple. I thought of Battles Without Honor and Humanity. Is mm-hmm. that what the hell that meant? Yeah. <laughs> this is bad, when we don't remember the movies of, uh, that we've done <laughs> on this show. But if you're starting a movie and you got that much movement and, like, battle going on, it kind of, like, it. there's something timeless about that, right? Like, it, it, to me, it held up really well, like, as yeah. far as just that working as, like, an action piece almost, you know? Sure. Even the roosters were fighting, right? The the hens and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the chickens are, are beating the shit out of each other. Not bad. Uh, but what we find out is that one of our leads here, which was played by uh, Kazuo Hasegawa, he plays a character named Maritu. And he is loyal to the royal party that were established in this city. And their attacking party has quickly kind of enveloped this area. And he's found out that there are traitors in their midst, one of whom turns out to be his brother. Hmm. Um, They have a plan to get his and her majesty out of this area. Uh, specifically, I'm guessing she's just sort of like the queen of this this group. They need to get her out of there in a separate carriage, but they need someone to pretend to be her so that they can fool their enemies, right? right. So create a diversion. He basically just says this amongst a crowd of people, and a woman steps forward and volunteers, and that is uh, the woman played by Mashiko Kayo. Her mm-hmm. character name is... Uh, Kesa?
1: Yeah, that's, what I, that's how I thought of
0: it. Of course, I said her name last week was Machine, so... <laughs> that's true. Her, her real name that's was just... <laughs> yeah, Green Salt. Yeah. Kesa. I think it's Kesa. So right away, you're like, okay, well, this is, a, this is a, a bold act of virtue here, and she's putting herself in danger, and they take off, and they're trying to get away, and Ritu ends up at his domicile with her. I don't remember exactly how, but she was unconscious.
1: I think she passed out during okay. the ride. The ride was super rough.
0: Yeah, and they they did. They got attacked.
1: There's a lot of fighting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. By the way, watching this, I was fighting by sword just seems particularly terrifying. You know, and oh to yeah. say nothing of like guns and cannons or D-Day or watching favorite private Ryan*. But watching this is like, oh my god, that would just <laughs> when yeah. everybody has a sword and you got to get that close. Oof, yeah, it no. felt brutal. Bad stuff, guys. Let's put the swords down.
1: Let's not use swords. Okay.
0: So she's unconscious. Kesa, Marito is getting water out of a stream into his mouth, I just was assuming to drink, and instead, he like basically spits, I mean he blows like a mist of water yeah onto the woman to wake her up. And uh, he does that, I believe, twice, and then kisses her. I would submit, Craig, that there's that's like way down your list of approved ways to wake up anybody, regardless of gender. Well, if they're out cold. How about you? I'm
1: gonna be honest with you. That's how I woke up my wife the morning after our wedding.
0: <laughs> really? Just that's right. You're still together to this day. That's, oh
1: yeah, our bonds have never been stronger.
0: Says yeah. a lot about you guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Even it felt like he, he could have got like a cup or something and just poured it on her like that. It I seems was, like there
1: know. are yeah many different <laughs> better ways than spitting on someone. Yeah, I, I thought about that and I was like, because it seems very uh, it seems very aggressive. Yeah. You know, yes, I mean, it is, assume yeah, it would be something that must be some acceptable way to do that because if anyone spit in my face to wake me up, I'd assume they hated me,
0: right? I would probably say, Thank you for waking me up. Let's talk about how you did that and maybe not do that next <laughs> time, have, buddy. Yeah.
1: We need to have a conversation, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's all part of my CPR classes that I'll be teaching. Never, very good. So she's awake and. There's a bit of interaction between them. I mean, definitely, I think the seeds of his interest in her, at least visually, are planted there, although quickly interrupted by a, a warrior from, I think, the other... No, no, he's from the, the local tribe, but we find out he belongs with a group of traders, sort of led by Maritu's brother, whose name I can't remember, but it's okay because we're not going to see him again after this conversation. Mm-hmm. But we basically find out that the, the two sort of like opposing... Ideas or or loyalty to, you know, his and her majesty and the brother who's saying, this is a losing battle. This is shrewd strategy because otherwise you're going to end up dead. Mm -hmm. It's hard to argue with, I think. It is. You know, I mean, I don't think Maritu is getting rich just by being loyal to uh, his and her majesty, but that's down the line. So a plan is hatched to send word to a guy who sort of goes by the name of the monk, Kiyomori, General Mm -hmm. Kiyomori. Played by Korea Cinda. Very nice. I really liked the the cutaways here. I mean, here's one of the first times like red is is strongly used. You get the shot of like the the Japanese gate. This is not like a chain link fence gate, but you you'll know that structure when you see it. There's one just out in the middle of the water. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. There's a guy dancing in a golden dragon mask. There's some sort of ritual going on, and this monk character. Well, I'm going to talk about his look in a second. He's approached and told that the city has been attacked and they need to send forces to help now or all is lost. Right. There's some discussion to be had about that, and then that's exactly what happens. But the monk, Craig, he's bald. Mm. He has sideburns, but not like a full sure. beard. And that's you don't see that a lot these days either. It's you a know? bold look, Sean. It's a bold look. You might be able to pull that off. I'd like to see it. We'll see. But in these moments, there's a guy eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. I like those hats those dudes wore. Remember, they were like very tall.
1: Yeah. Reminiscent of a pompadour, but also yeah. kind of a beehive yeah. hairdo situation.
0: Yeah. Very tall. Um, very tall. He, he's eavesdropping. Morito comes out, sees him kind of quickly walking away. They go around and have a duel on the beach. Morito kills the guy. When I think Japan, especially when I think like feudal Japan, I'm not thinking beaches, really, right? It looked awesome. I mean, A, it just looks beautiful, and then B, it just it made for such a cool, different setting, I guess I don't know. Agreed. Anyway, the plan is hatched, and then Craig, the plan is enacted, and we don't see any of it. No, what are your thoughts on that? The movie skips ahead to a time shortly after where they have counterattack and succeeded in maintaining control of this area.
1: It seemed very odd, but then I thought, you know, Quesa didn't really have anything to do with the actual plan, right? Sure. Maybe Quesa not involved. Morito probably did some fighting, but he didn't really lead it, did he?
0: He did enough fighting to be granted a favor. True. To get to.
1: He was one of many people who were being granted favors later. Yeah, so he definitely did some fighting. So you would expect maybe to see that. But my feeling is, as odd as that kind of felt, the important thing, like we'd already completely established that the two most important things up to that point, which was Lady Kesa is super into protecting people and yep. she's not a coward at all. Right. She will put herself in harm's way to protect the people that she believes in, etc. And Marito is not going to switch sides. He's not going to be talked out of anything.
0: Stubborn, he's you could say. He's a very stubborn guy. Yeah. And
1: when he gets his head set on something, he's going to do it. Again, doesn't matter if it means bodily harm or anything like that. So right. I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, setting up those two stories at that point, do you need to see a battle? Sure, it would be fun. But I didn't miss that too much. What about you?
0: I'm kind of with you. I mean, I think when you look at the movie as a whole and you realize, yeah, it really kind of is a melodrama in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where would that fit? Yeah. I mean, I say that knowing like most movies, I mean, especially like anything that's like trying to get box office, you want that production value, whether it fits or not, right? Like they don't, yeah. sometimes they don't care. You to like, wake you know. the
1: audience back up.
0: Yeah, just I, yeah. kill as many people as you can. It doesn't matter, you know, if it really has anything to do with the rest of the movie or not. But it, it did throw me for a loop a little bit just to not see any of it, I guess, especially knowing that what we have seen, it looked like a very tough thing to surmount. So in some ways it's a little bit cheating because (laughs) you get the ease of not having to explain how they won right? or seeing how they won. You just know that they won and that's it. That's cool. Yeah. And the title refers to a gate in the city there where there was like a previous guy, a previous monk years before who killed hundreds of people and put their, you would behead people and put their, their heads up on the gate for all to see when they pass by, and so it kind of mm-hmm. got the nickname Gate of Hell. And then sure enough, after this battle, now there's various heads up there, I think one of whom was marito's brother, I believe. Yes, I believe you're right. The traitor. Mm-hmm. So he got his just desserts, you might say. Mm, dessert. Everybody seems A-OK with, with walking around with just heads on, heads on stakes there, you know, just passing through town. <laughs>
1: Yeah, basically that's what the nightly news was back yeah. then, you know.
0: That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, They didn't have podcasts, so yeah.
1: Just heads, decapitated heads <laughs> on top of your gates. Tells you everything you need to know.
0: We've come a long way. We have. Well, here we go. We've got Marito at the gate. He bumps into Kesa. They haven't seen each mm-hmm. other since the previous day where it seemed like all was lost, and she did her duty to pretend to, to be the queen and distract the enemy. Her aunt is there. They find out that she at one point had worked at the palace for her majesty. and It's very clear at this point that Marito, uh is very, very interested in her. He invites yes. both of them for dinner. I believe it's initially rejected because of a schedule conflict. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they plan to text later and confirm. Right. So they don't do that. I don't know. At that moment, were you buying into the idea that she also was interested in him, Kesa?
1: Well, no, I mean, not really. Okay. It's just like she has no, like such no say in it. Yeah. She has so little say in anything. Right. You know, I, I don't know. The looks that she was giving him could be that, she, oh, hmm, look at that guy. Or or it could just be like, I have to show you 110% respect at all yeah. times so that my head doesn't end up on the top of this gate. So... <laughs> Yeah. And and not that she was necessarily no. a target like it's not like the people were being like that terribly oppressed I don't think certainly not in the movie. But yeah, so I guess to me it wasn't 100% clear that she was into him. What about you?
0: I didn't think that she was into him per I mean felt like oh yeah, she's sort of doing what's culturally acceptable and expected of her. She's demure and right. and very polite to the man because he's the he's the man and right. a warrior. But I did in my head, I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to end up being a love story between these two, and like she'll come out of her shell in some capacity or whatever. Totally was right. not thinking. Uh, a love triangle situation, which we then find out uh, in a following scene when uh, the monk is there at It was like the godfather. It made me think of the godfather and him granting wishes on his daughter's wedding day, right? Yeah. Because he's basically giving uh, property and land to... Uh, the people that fought in this battle and they call Marito up and it's like, what would you, what's your wish? What would you want? And he explains that he would like the monk to play the go between and arrange the marriage between himself and Kesa. And people are laughing at this. And I, you know, it kind of seems like, well, maybe they're just laughing because that's a, that's sort of a silly, silly request to make here in front of everybody. You know, you're a samurai and a warrior and, you know, people are getting titles and, and land here, and, and you want to get married. But uh, they're laughing because, boom, she's already married to a guard at the palace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. Okay. Morito does not seem to care. They that's ask it. him to make a new wish. And he just will not budge. He doesn't even say anything. I was like, "Oh shit! Okay, this just got really interesting. Like, who is this guy? You know?" Yeah. So I don't know. I just was like, "Well, well, that—that's interesting. Like, where where do you go from that?" And then then you know, suddenly you've got a scene where like Kesa and some of the other the women are talking and referring to him as a bumpkin, which I just loved seeing in subtitle. I I don't know. <laughs> I would love to talk to somebody from Japan and find out if that's. Very close to so like a, comes up, an exact yeah. translation or what? And then you know you do meet the husband, and this is Wataro, Wataru, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And that guy was fascinating to me, Craig, because he just was not what I expect. He seemed like the nicest, is not threatening in the slightest, right? He's not threatening. He
1: isn't threatened.
0: No, necessarily
1: yeah. by the. You know what I mean? It's sure. Yeah. yeah the first thing I expected was. Uh Well, wait, are we even there yet where he finds out about the that there's someone who? No, we, we don't even know about that yet, do we?
0: Well, I think
1: that there's someone we could who talk about him. it
0: because she tells him. I mean, she apologizes. Right. Saying, she apologizes to yeah. him because a
1: guy likes her.
0: Right. She thinks she may have done. She must have done something wrong to give uh, an improper impression to Marito to make him feel that way. Right. And he's just like, "Oh, I'm it can't possibly be your fault." That's okay. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he'll yeah. come to he's a he's a samurai too. I'm sure he'll come to his senses, you know. Yeah. And uh he's wrong about and that.
1: The, well, yeah, very much so. <laughs> but it is refreshing like I assumed, yeah. you know, it was going to be War. a thing well out of honor. Now, you know, I have to go kill this guy cuz he likes my wife and yeah. It was just nice that no, it's just like, "Oh, well, <laughs> i'm sure it'll work itself out <laughs> yeah like we have bigger fish to fry than uh some guy has a crush on you
0: it gets really complicated then because the monk summons her to the palace or whatever and the husband i mean here's where i just like no dude like <laughs> he's like yeah. oh insist that she doesn't want to go she's like just tell him i'm sick like i'm not going there this is bad i know it's bad nothing good could come from this and he's like no, 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 no. You don't want to insult him. I mean, just go. I'm yeah. sure he'll be fine. You know, uh, play the dulcimer for him. You know, tell him everything is, is straight and that you're not interested in this guy and everything will be ironed out. And uh, again, no, because like the monk basically is, is pitting to have her and Marito alone in a room together because he's basically like, well, the only way I can get this woman to marry you is if she has feelings for you, right? right. And... Clearly not expecting her to show any feelings whatsoever and thinking that that will, at least this is how we read it, that that will make Marito look like a fool, right? Yeah. Um, And, in fact, he gets a good laugh out of the fact, like, when he tells Marito, like, oh, by the way, why don't you go in the next room over there? Your girl's there. And Marito, like, suddenly gets cold feet a little bit. He's, he's, like, hesitant. And that just makes, you know, the monk laugh even more. It's like, this guy's a coward (laughs) and that's, you know despite the fact that he's, like, insisting that he marry this woman who's already married. Yeah. And then I think one of the next big scenes is when Wataru, the husband, is drinking with several men, and, you know, uh, they find out that Marito has entered this horse race the next day that Wataru was already in. And it's like, oh, here we go. This is like, you know, you two guys are going to duel it out, and whoever wins the horse race is going to win... Uh, her hand in marriage or whatever. I was like, well, that seems like crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And once again, with Tara, I was like, no, it's probably not how it'll go. You know, what can I do? Whatever happens is up to divine will. I can only make a horse go so fast. You know, (laughs) it's just like he's still... He's he's um, super chill. Super chill about it. I don't know. I think it was around here that you did get a sense of just how upset Kesa is by all of this. And I think with good reason. You know, Mm -hmm. at that point, I mean, I wrote down, I was like, gosh, it, it really feels like she has absolutely no say in any of this. Oh yeah. That is definitely what she would have been up against. For Although sure. I think you're right. You know, the expectation would have been that the husband would immediately have been assaulted uh and, and risked life and limb to fight this guy. Uh instead they risk horse life and limb. We have a good old fashioned horse race, Craig. <laughs> Woo Who did you put your money on? Secretariat or Sea Biscuit?
1: I liked uh
0: Oh, wow, so you definitely won. Yeah. I thought this whole scene was beautiful. There's some really nice shots in all of that, I thought. You know, again, the costumes shine here. Wataru and Morito are both wearing these little hats that have leaves on them, which were kind of, uh, never seen anything like that quite before, but they look beautiful. There's a fantastic shot of Kesa, and there's a woman who, it's spelled Tone. I'm sure it's not pronounced Tone. (laughs) <laughs> Bella just liked calling her Tone. Tone. Ke- yeah. Ke- yeah. Quesa and Tone were walking sort of side by side, just almost in complete unison. And they had those mm-hmm. veils draped over them, um, but, you know, not like a funeral veil, but they were like very sheer. And, and they've got these very colorful robes on. Again, beautiful shot. The shots of the horses racing, like there's some impressive tracking shots in those, which cannot be easy to do and make it look no. like the horse is actually moving at a good clip, which it appeared it was. And who wins the race, Craig?
1: Well, Marito wins the race.
0: You bet your ass he does.
1: But there's an asterisk.
0: <gasps> was he doping the horse?
1: No, what's interesting is he wins... And then there's a very clear sentiment going around the the uh, Renaissance fair that he won only because Wataru let him win.
0: Yeah, he didn't whip the horse hard enough, right? Right. <laughs> uh I actually do you know Bartleby the scrivener, you know that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah at that point when they were talking about it with Wataro and he was like, no, I just couldn't catch him. Like it made me think of what Bartleby the Scrivener was yeah. <laughs> just like refusing to do anything and show any emotion whatsoever. Um, but I did like that. They had that big conversation and they do almost get in a sword fight at this mm-hmm. point. But uh, And then this guy walks in and he's like, gentlemen, there's no violence in the forget-the-race festivity. That's like what they call <laughs>
1: Forget-the-race festivities, yeah.
0: I laughed pretty Love hard it. at that. It was like, it's like, well, you have the race, and then afterwards you have a dinner in the forget-the-race festivities. Uh, it was great. <laughs> it was great. Now, my next note, Craig, Yeah. Uh, is when I really turned on Marito and classic Save the Cat screenwriting 101 here. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Oh, uh, uh, yeah, no. You you, you take it. Take it away.
0: Marito kicked a puppy, (laughs) y'all. He kicked a puppy.
1: We had to, at this point in the screenplay, Blake (laughs) Snyder tells you, you have to know clearly if the person's good or bad. No one in the audience should have to wonder. And so right there, he kicks a puppy. They cut a later scene out where he took candy from a child and ate it. (laughs)
0: Yes. And slapped an old lady.
1: And just slapped an old lady. Uh,
0: yeah, kicked, kicked a puppy. And it was a puppy kicked that's a puppy. not in the movie. There's, I don't think there's another dog or cat or anything in this movie. No. There's just a scene where he's outside. He's pissed. Uh, I believe he's outside Wataru and Case's house. And this little puppy walks into frame. and He kicks a damn thing. And lot of bang. Uh, It's not funny. Yeah. It's not funny. Mm-hmm. I was mad i I wrote my note in all caps damn it yeah but uh
1: doesn't make you feel good
0: he's really starting to lose his shit at this point in the movie i mean obviously enough to kick a dog but nonetheless he (laughs) is having conversations with the aunt who they called lady aunt which i liked uh threatens to slay anyone and everyone who won't help him get Kesa. Yeah, it was at this point I was like, "This is the original obsessive stalker." Like, this is going right. way, way back, and uh, I th- I thought it was kind of interesting. There's conversation with Kesa where he then threatens to kill her too. You know, it's that he wants yeah. her so bad. If he can't have her, nobody will. There's not a ton of build up to that. I didn't think, Craig.
1: There wasn't. I mean, yeah, he 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 goes to see Kesa because he's. I I think he's essentially gonna. Abductor.
0: I yeah i don't know uh, i mean who knows what the plan is keep, it's not good yeah
1: right and then and then they say oh well she yeah she went to her aunt so he goes to the aunt and really that's where you kind of get his full yeah fury like you, you can tell how far over the edge he is now yeah and then uh yeah and then he then he uh tricks case into coming out there and exactly like is, is essentially saying if i can't have you i'll kill you and everybody you love. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, what are you going to say to that? Especially if you're Lady Kesa in this actual time period. What are you going to say to that? Like, Right. No. This, this guy's a, a he's warrior. He's a samurai, guy, yeah. Yeah, like he could easily kill you both, bury your bodies. There's no forensics. No one's going to ever know what happened. No. I mean, um, so it's terrifying. And And honestly, I feel like... That was another thing, you know. I do think there there is, uh, maybe this is really obvious, but I do think that, that there is a part of Lady Casey that is attracted to him.
0: Perhaps, yeah.
1: Perhaps. Or, or put another way, there were certain times where I felt like, oh, maybe she is attracted to him and that's what this reaction is that she's having. Mm-hmm. But I feel like looking back on it now, a lot of that reaction was more like, for us, looking at it from the outside, it might seem kind of funny or like, or even more of a, you know, it's a very dramatic situation that this guy loves her and and she's married. But from her point of view, he might as well be pointing a gun at her face yeah. the whole time. That
0: was terrifying.
1: It's just like a train coming at you that you cannot do anything about. You just hope he'll go away. Yeah.
0: Part of me was watching this thinking, you know, inner movie critic. Uh, no, not movie critic. Inner studio executive note: right. What has she done to make him fall in love with her? And the fact of the matter is, she's done nothing she's for done that.
1: Absolutely, and
0: nothing. that's what makes it work, right?
1: Well, I think so. You know, I mean, yeah. like I could see, even though he never says any. Actually, no, he talks about her being beautiful. As I, I, mean, I that's
0: it. That's purely his entire attraction to her, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, there's a part of me that was thinking, oh, well, this was born. Originally, when she she was the only one who stepped up and said, "I'm going to do this dangerous thing," yeah, you. But he never brings that up. But he never is like, "Oh, but she's so courageous." It's just she's this. She's a beautiful object. Yes, like that's what it seems
0: like. With some intense um, eyebrows, by the way. Anyway, some
1: (laughs) very intense eyebrows. Some hair that is really encroaching on the forehead area.
0: (laughs) It was interesting.
1: Uh, That was one of my things about. Well, that was one of the things about my casting. The thing about the casting was that I think it was really uh really well cast in the sense that these are not this love triangle are not the three most beautiful people on the face of the planet. No. When you boil it down, these are three normal people and the situation is getting out of control. Like it's it's not something where you're gonna be on his side because holy shit, she really is the most beautiful woman in the entire world. Like Right. He has, he's just taken with her. And, and you know, like, I, I don't know that you should ever have to feel like you're actually kind of sympathizing with him in any way. You know,
0: like, for sure.
1: I didn't. I was like, oh, well, he finds her beautiful. That's great. Yeah. Like, I don't personally, but he does. And so, right. you know, well, I think she does
0: this. stand out, though, among the, I mean, like, there's just something sort of magnetic about her and obviously the way that they shot her uh, sure. in this movie compared to even the other women in the film. Right, but yeah, it, it was it was kind of interesting, and it, it did ramp up to that moment with him where now he's like, yeah, full Wahlberg, in fear, yeah, crazy, and this stuff kind of happens quickly, and it happens at night, and suddenly I felt like, wait, she's caving to his demand, right. saying that she'll help him kill her husband, like that's what it's come to, and I, and I was just trying to wrap my head around this as like. Why is she doing this? Um, is it somehow saving the aunt? Like it, I was trying to just keep up with whatever arrangement was being made here. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was struggling to keep up a little bit with that. But the next thing you know, she's going to see Tone. And she's giving her her best jewels. And she goes to see her husband who's reading alone in his bedroom. And she tells him that she's scared to be in her bedroom. She thinks there's someone there. He goes, and of course, there's no one there. And he's his genial self. And mm-hmm. she shares food with him and tea. She plays the dulcimer. And man, I, I do think like if there's a moment of beauty for her, like it's in that moment. Like it, just like she's wearing this like massive pink robe, and she's draped in this weird position over the dulcimer. And like I feel like so, that image will stick with me for a while. It's a great just arrangement of a shot and people in within a frame. Yeah. And then I love how they did this sequence. Like you're, we're outside, and there's like shots of trees and plants at night. The wind's blowing, and it's just quiet. And there's like mm-hmm. this intensity to it, and you know he's coming, right? It's like uh, Night of the Hunter or something. Like you know his yeah. ass is coming, and Kessa waits. And then I don't know. Do you want to walk through? Well, I guess we gotta we gotta tell people what happened here. Okay. So, Kesa told her husband to sleep in her room. She goes into her husband's room. This is all on purpose. Mm -hmm. Knowing that is gonna come in there like a maniac, and I guess the plan was he would would stab Wataru with his sword in the bed where he lay, which he Mm -hmm. does without checking to make sure it was Wataru first. Mm -hmm. And suddenly he has killed the object of his desire, and naturally, feels pretty bad about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it must be so hard for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think his words were, I wrote, I crushed a precious flower in full bloom. Yeah. I did like what followed. I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, it's you finally get this sort of face-to-face showdown between husband and crazy-ass stalker-pursuer samurai.
1: Yeah.
0: And Morito throws down his sword tells Wotaro to cut off his head. I was like, Jesus, That if this movie ends that way, like, suck at Game of Thrones. <laughs> that's going to be awesome, right? You know? Of course, it can't end that way, right?
1: No, that's not who Wotaro is.
0: Yeah. So he does what I would imagine myself doing. He goes immediately to check and make sure this is actually true and to yeah. see if his wife is in fact dead. Here's where some things were, I, I thought were both problematic and valid, if that makes any sense. So Waturo in his grief, is asking her body, why, did, why didn't Why did you confide in me? Why didn't you tell me that this was going on, that you had seen, Marito? Like, did you think I would be mad at you? Why didn't you ask for help? Yeah. I thought those are all valid questions. They go on to make the point that, you know, a wife pleases her husband when she entrusts everything with him. Uh, and they throw that kind of language in there, and I'm just like, well, hang on, let's... Let's pump the brakes on that a little bit, right? I mean, she's <laughs> yeah. dead. You know, are you blaming her for right. sacrificing her herself? Fault. Yeah, right. But I did find myself as an audience member wondering why she couldn't tell him that night that Marito's coming. He's he's going to kill you. Prepare. You know, do, like we have to stop him. Like, you know, something. Right. Right. Do you have an answer for that? I mean, is there any sensible?
1: Well. I guess that's one of the things that makes me wonder, did she have some sort of feeling for him?
0: Yeah, I guess I mean, I, I think you kind of have to ask that question, I suppose
1: right but but even if even if you said no, no, she didn't, I could still see her doing this out of a sense of guilt. the fact that she already apologized, yeah for this. I mean, yeah, it, it clearly it makes logical sense to say, "Look, this dude be in love with me' He crazy?
0: <laughs> You're a samurai, we, you got a sword.
1: Yeah, we got to stop him. Yeah. I guess another question is, you know, Wataru is ne- never set up to be a tough guy. I think he ain't clint Eastwood. Yes. You know, so it's a is a part of it that she's like if I pit these two against each other, Wataru is going to die. Yep. You know?
0: I M- think maybe that's a lot. She just doesn't of it. see any other way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting cuz I mean, you were talking about masculinity up front. Like, I think that's where you sort of, like, really see it, is, you know, he, Wataru is a version of that, and Morito is an extreme version of something else. And it's hard not to watch the movie and imagine that Morito wouldn't chop that guy's head off, you know, if they were to fight. That said, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still think the idea that she did it out of a sense of shame or feeling like I'm the one that created this mess somehow because he wants me. I just have to end this. This is my only way out of it in a way that doesn't get everybody else killed. Right. Which is like classic tragedy and and also like a condemnation of the whole sort of power system there between men and women, I think. Yeah. Uh, Which is fascinating, especially for 1953.
1: It really is. And I I mean, you know, even – As that ending plays out, and, you know, Moritu is just, you know, sitting in the sand whining about what he did and how bad it's going to be for him and everything and how he demands that Wataru kills him. And Wataru is just like, you know, well, what's the point of me doing that? Like, you'll be dead. It won't do anything good for me. Like, why why should I kill someone? yeah you get you know? to not and,
0: suffer anymore, and I get to go on living knowing that you killed my wife you right know?
1: exactly so yeah it's and and so th- yeah there is that thing of you know uh I don't know c- kind of goes unsaid, but yeah, like all of your um remorse at this point is doesn't mean a fucking thing, nope, yep, you've done the bad stuff, like it doesn't matter if you're sorry now because it's too late. Yeah, definitely just a, a full-on tragedy, no doubt about
0: it. Yeah, and you get the very symbolic gesture of Wataru, or excuse me, Morito cutting off his topknot, which mm-hmm. I assume that's a samurai thing, right? Like that's the signifier. Yeah, uh, into being if you don't dead. have that, then yeah. Right, and he's basically saying, you're right, I condemn myself to a life of thought and service as a monk, and uh, that's it. We end with those two there and then we get one last shot of someone walking through the gate of hell. Mm-hmm. I watched it again just to make sure it wasn't a character that we were supposed to recognize and I don't think it was. Um, yeah, It's kind of a wide shot. I was going to say, yeah, it was not. But a good shot nonetheless because it's like a, a good reminder too of like, oh yeah, entire civilizations are just spending their years killing each other uh, in so many ways that when it's yeah coming down from a government rain, you put up the heads on spikes and have a gate of hell but when it's you know personal it, it looks like this thing that we just watched which yeah, it's cool to have the backdrop of war at the beginning of this movie and then like we talked about it just disappears <laughs> yeah but it's still it's still there I mean they did bring it back there that very last shot which uh, you know I think it's kind of cool well done well done Mr. Tanosuki Kinagasa. Uh Craig yes anything yeah. else about gate of hell We've walked people through the gate. They made it out, hopefully. And uh, anything else from this movie that caught your eye?
1: Yes, one thing uh, that caught my eye quite literally. I thought it was very interesting, and I don't know enough about cameras and lenses to tell you exactly what was causing this effect, as far as I'm concerned. Uh huh. But but there were several shots where I mean it was it was uh, pretty clearly uh, a lot of this was on a set, and so. Uh, you know whenever you were in one of the houses or whatever it was on a set and there were painted backgrounds and stuff every now and again uh and i want to say this happened when uh i want to say marito was walking Quesa somewhere Mm -hmm. or was it uh was it wataru who was walking with Kesa? anyway they were outside you cut to this shot and just the way the focus was playing with what was there it looked like a miniature it looked like Interesting. Like you, 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 maybe you know, like it was created just for a, for like a sunrise or something. Yeah. But then they walked onto the set, and it totally like flipped my mind because like when I looked, at it, I was like, "Oh, that's a funny looking miniature that they have there," and it totally <laughs> wasn't. Like it was just a full on right. So I don't know what I don't know what that effect huh. was that was causing that to happen. But it, it several times it felt like I was looking at a miniature, and I'd see like a little you know, action figure walk on or something. and then, then someone would just walk around the corner. Kind of blew my mind.
0: Huh. But, That's, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of those moments. I mean, there were definitely things where it felt like, you know, yeah, there was some soft focus in play, but intentionally and you do yeah. get you do get that sort of like dreamlike state of the, the studio there. Although I, I thought, you know, they mixed locations and staged pr- pretty damn well. Sure. You know, the transition was pretty seamless, I thought. I was impressed by just the sheer state of Japanese minimalism inside these people's homes, because <laughs> yeah. uh, man, they don't own a stitch of furniture, and they sleep yeah. on tiny wood blocks as pillows. Which there's just no way that that was comfortable, right?
1: It seems super uncomfortable. I was gonna ask you yeah, like, earlier. How do you move your
0: head? Like you're just gonna fall off if you do, right? I don't know. I
1: think I think it works like a like a like this notch in the back of your head that just keeps you locked in there the whole time.
0: Maybe. If, but no. I, Go ahead.
1: Well, I, I was going to say, like, earlier when, when the guy was reading in the evening, like, he's just on the ground but sort of leaning on this wooden thing. Like, none of that looked comfortable.
0: No, at all. Yeah.
1: So, no, but he seemed very, uh, like, he was about to go to sleep. And I was like, man, I don't know if I could sleep. Yeah, my
0: 40-plus-year-old bones were aching watching this movie, and these people just sit on the floor.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. He said.
0: Uh, if you look at IMDb, the poster that they have for this movie is, features an image of Kesa laying on one of these wooden blocks as a pillow if you're curious to see what I'm talking about here um, oh yeah you can go check that out but I think that is it I think it's a definite thumbs up for me correct I think it's a, it's a pretty easy movie to digest and if for no other reason you could watch this and just soak in the eye candy and you know check out the plot every now and then it's pretty easy to follow what do you think?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's beautiful. Uh the, the colors are amazing. And uh yeah, it's just it's pure melodrama. It just keeps moving the whole time. Yeah, yeah I I think uh if you're going to start your uh Japanese film watching career, might as well start with this one.
0: Yeah, it would be a good interesting place to start because it's sort of a samurai movie and yet not like a a, a samurai movie in in so many ways that have nothing to do with battle. So yeah. yeah, see this and then follow it up with something else that, that does that sort of side of the samurai story there you have it we've conquered Japan
1: uh, once again <laughs> <It's>,
0: uh, <laughs> I don't know forgive us that was bad no uh, hey come back next time we're going to tee up another movie that won best costume design so Costober we'll keep rocking on <laughs> and nobody else will be using that word so, yep. thanks for listening, Craig. Any last words? Uh, uh, uh,
1: let's uh, all enjoy our forget the cast activities, mm-hmm. and um, let's let's
0: let's fight with honor, guys. Yep. No violence in the forget the cast dinner, though. Okay, guys. Yeah, please. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.